0: turning your bibles this morning to mark the ninth chapter i ask you to continue to pray for me i have to say that i selfishly look forward to the sundays where i have a little more time to express what the lord has laid on my heart when it's just me speaking those times are not very often because we're so blessed with so many gifts here at the church that we feel compelled and burdened to make sure that Brother Luke, Brother Neil, Brother McNeil have plenty of time to exercise their amazing gifts and share with you. But as a pastor, selfishly, I think, you know, I've got that Sunday. I've got them all to myself this Sunday. And then I I have a Sunday like this, and I think, I really don't know what to say. (laughs) So be careful what you wish for. When you get the wish, sometimes you're like the dog who catches the car. You know, what's he going to do with it when he catches it? So I ask you to pray for me this morning. I've gone back and forth on several subjects, and I believe that the Lord has settled my mind on this particular subject because I keep coming back to it. And if you haven't noticed lately, we've been doing a study at home for some time through the book of Mark, and so my mind has very often over the last many weeks been stirred around the book of Mark. So we want to consider Mark, the ninth chapter this morning. We begin reading in verse 30 as we look to our text, and they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. My subject this morning is are we afraid to ask Jesus? I want you to think about this particular text, first of all, and then we'll branch out into some other times in which questions were asked of Jesus. And I want you to see how important it is for us not to be afraid to ask Jesus our questions. One of my little side phrases for many years doing Bible studies and interacting and talking with people about the scripture is the only dumb question is the one you don't ask so there should never be any reason whatsoever that we feel hesitant or afraid or just think i don't have a a basis even to go and ask jesus anything that is burdening me i think it's interesting how jesus words his teaching to them Notice that it says the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. It doesn't say that He will be delivered into the hands of men. You understand the mindset of Jesus was that when He came to this earth, when He was conceived as a little molecule, as as an atom in the womb of the Virgin Mary, that was a delivering of the Son of Man, the Son of God, into the hands of men. In other words, when He came to this earth, when he began to grow and to uh, when he was 12 years old, when he was 30 years old and began his ministry, Jesus viewed this as being presently delivered. You have heard me say before that every step that Jesus took on this sin-cursed earth was one more step towards being uh, crucified and delivering us from our sins. But he had to be delivered into the hands of men in order to deliver us from our sins, what an incredible giving up of something that we never fully can comprehend. I don't think this side of glory, and I think on the other side of glory, when we are known as we, uh, when we are known as He knows us, we'll marvel at that for all of eternity. What He gave up, so uh, delivered Himself into, so that we could be delivered from. So the ultimate conclusion to that is: there's nothing we have that's that He's not worthy of us giving up. But Jesus says that the Son of Man is delivered. At that point when he was teaching that, and from the time that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost and the womb of the Virgin Mary, he was delivered into the hands of men. You know, he just slipped away from the hands of men a few times. You remember Herod tried to get his hands on him when he was just a baby. And God slipped him away. Many times they came to put their hands upon him as in John the sixth chapter, when they were gonna, or excuse me, Luke the fourth chapter, when they were gonna lead him to the brow of the hill and he was gonna be cast off and killed. And it says he just passed through the midst of them. See, he was delivered into the hands of men from the time that he came here. And this is information, these are answers that Jesus is giving that they do not settle well with his disciples. Notice it says, he is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. I kind of like that shall better where it says he shall save his people from their sins. I I tend to like that better. But this is a necessary shall also. They shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now I submit to you that what they latched on to was the first two phrases. He is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. They did not latch on to the last part because that's not what they preferred. They didn't want to hear these things. But he says he shall rise the third day. Jesus alluded to this all through his ministry. You know, they came and we'll talk about this probably a little bit later, but just in case it's, it's on my mind. They came and they asked him, they said, what sign in, in the book of John? They said, what sign do you give to us? And he said, he was in the temple and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And they said, this temple, looking at the physical temple around, they said, it's been here for 46 years. And you're going to raise it up you can build it in three days. But he spoke about the temple of his body. See? They misunderstood the answer. (laughs) And here they were afraid to ask him about what he was talking about. That's sad, isn't it? This is the man that has all knowledge of all things, of, of all time and eternity. And these little men, these little people that were following him, they were afraid to ask him what he meant when he said what he did. So it's interesting that a few days or some time later, he asked them a question. Verse 33, it says, they came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? <laughs> I'll tell you this, if, if we're afraid to ask Jesus questions, I promise you, Jesus is going to come along asking you questions. And it's going to. it's not like he shows up magically or powerfully and says, Hey, I have a question for you. Like he did to these guys, he was in their physical presence. But it it will be in the form of things arising in your heart. Doubts, fears, questioning, conviction, burden in your heart. But here Jesus is in their presence and he says, What was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? Now he knows what it was because he's God. But he wants to hear what they have to say. Now these scared men... Who are afraid to ask him anything. Now they're afraid to give him an answer. Notice what it says in verse 34. They held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. They were not only afraid to ask him a question, but just a short time later, they're afraid to give him an answer. You see, that's what this lack of understanding and this fear will lead to. Afraid to ask Jesus any questions. And afraid to give an audible answer. When the funny thing is, he already knows everything. (laughs) He just likes to hear us say it. So Jesus goes on and gives them some answers, even when they won't answer him. And he sat down, he called the twelve, and he said unto them, he knows what they were disputing. He knows that they were trying to dispute among themselves who should be the greatest. Can y'all picture that playing out? Peter and James and John and the different ones that were there and they're they're arguing Well, I think I'm the greatest well you know he he called me first well yeah but I saw him first whenever I was over there with John the Baptist I'm the one that told you about him yeah but you know I'm the one that usually speaks up you know that was Peter (laughs) I'm usually the one that he looks to to answer these questions I'm the one that's here for maybe being his bodyguard (laughs) you know who's the greatest they're they're way off base you know why they're way off base listen to me it's because they were afraid to ask him, and they were afraid to answer. And Jesus sits down and he says, listen, if any man desire to be first, whoever it is among you that's, that's jockeying for position, that's trying to leverage their weight and become in front of the others, he says, that person is going to be last. You see, Jesus says, if you want to be first, you, want, you must be the servant. Of others, That's how to be first in the kingdom of God. And he takes a child. And this had to be embarrassing to them who had been with him and thinking, I'm the man. No, the other one thinks, I'm the man. Another one thinks, no, surely it's got to be me. He takes a child. And I love this. It says he set the child in the midst of them. And when he had taken him into his arms, did you notice that? He brings the little child and he sets that little child right in front of him. Can't you see the little fellow, you know, looking around? <laughs> and he's among all these disciples and apostles. Jesus presents the little fellow and then he takes the little fellow up in his arms and holds him. And he says, Whosoever shall receive one of such little children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. You know that slapped them in the face without even using a hand. He said, You want to, you want to, how do you treat the children? How do you interact with the children? I tell you, the future of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ depends on the children that come up in the church. And that goes back to the parents of those children. And what those parents are doing with those children or not doing with those children. And how they're interacting with them and how much time is spent discussing issues and trying to deal with things and and teaching the Word of God. You see, Jesus makes it clear how the kingdom of God goes forward. It goes forward as a little child. A little child is receptive. A little child is a little child, like what Jesus is talking about. I'm not talking about maybe a young teen or a young adult who's, you know, sometimes thinks they know it all. But this type of little child is one that will come and ask any question. Questions like, "Mama, Daddy, you know, where does God come from?" A simple question is that, or a question that as simple as, you know, "I need help with something." You know, a little child is, is prone to ask any question. Sometimes funny and, and maybe embarrassing questions. You see, that's the kind of attitude that we should have. No matter what our age is, it should be the attitude of a little child when it comes to Jesus. You see that? Are we afraid to ask Him? Why wouldn't they ask Him? It's because, number one, they didn't understand. They didn't understand, and they also feared you know you've heard the old saying we fear what we don't understand well that's that's exactly what was going on here and in this situation right here sometimes I know ignorance is bliss you know I just don't want to know the statistics I don't want to know you know what's what were our odds against us are I don't want to know I don't want to know the exact number of primitive baptists in the world because compared to the numbers of the world and the denominations of the world that may be make you feel really small (laughs) I don't want to know those numbers. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. But in this circumstance right here, when Jesus is audibly telling them, I am delivered into the hands of men, I shall be killed. I shall rise the third day. They should be perking up and saying, whoa, whoa, tell us more. What does that mean? They could have asked him that. They could have said, what do you mean you'll rise again? And do you think our Lord would have held back? You know, a few weeks ago I talked to you about how he marveled at their unbelief. He did no mighty work because the people were not appreciating who he was. You see that? So he held back. There's no question that when Jesus is faced with those type of things, he holds back. They didn't ask him, What do you mean by you're delivered into the hands of men? What you are now delivered? Because you're walking with us, you're walking around with us. What do you mean that you shall be killed? You mean you're gonna physically die? What do you mean you'll rise again? What are we talking about? Are we talking about like Elijah and the, widow, the son of the, of the widow that was raised from the dead? What are we talking about? But he didn't tell them anything further because they didn't ask any question. The only dumb question is one you don't ask. They didn't ask. You see? Because they didn't understand and they were afraid. Are we afraid to ask Jesus our questions? we could be talking about big questions, you know, national or worldwide questions. We don't need to be afraid to ask the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has all knowledge. We don't need to be afraid to ask him any question, but we need to be prepared for whatever answer it is that he gives us. Big, big issues like abortion. The answers are there in the scripture on the Lord's character and position on murder. Which is what abortion is. And you say, well, it's not really abortion, is it? It's about whether or not that's really a living being inside the womb. The answers are there. It's a living being inside the womb. If it, Be ready for the answer if you're going to ask the question. It's there. God's very clear on it. What about euthanasia or people that choose to end their life? You know, assisted suicide. You know, the answers are there in the Word of God. <laughs> what about politics? You know, We've talked about that. You know, render unto Caesar. Who do I vote for? What, what do I, how do I process that? The answers are there. Just got to be ready for the uh, answer when we ask the question. What about uh, the transgender scene or gay, quote, marriage, which is a misnomer? You know, what about all of those things? What about shifting the mind, the big issues like somebody shifting from male to the female sex and all of that type of stuff? All the answers are there. What about this, though? Where do I need to work? What field do I need to go in? Where do I need to live? Who do I need to marry? What church do I need to attend? You know you've all got that answered here, no doubt. (laughs) That's not even a question in your mind. What about this? What about my salvation? And I've heard all my life that I, I must perform an act. I must say a verse or a prayer I must walk the aisle. I must do this. I must say this. I must conform in some way so that I can be with the Lord in heaven forever. And then you come to the scripture and you start asking those questions and you can't even find those things in the scripture. Better be prepared for the answer. People have said for over a century now or really right out of century, only about a hundred years. The idea of doing something to go to heaven has been around a long time. It, it, in our day and time, it is verbalized by phrases that we're very familiar with, like, you must accept Christ as your personal Savior, or you must let Jesus into your heart, or you must pray the sinner's prayer, or you must be baptized. Some groups say that. There's all kinds of different things that different groups say. But when you come to the scripture and you begin to ask those questions, where does it say that? You won't find them. See? Because salvation is not based on what we do, what we say, what we think how we act salvation is based on what jesus did what he said what he thinks and how he acted <laughs> you see and that's startling to a lot of people that's startling to those that have come up believing a different way because it makes you feel afraid <laughs> and sadly there's many that at that point they lock down they shut down because they understand not the saying and they're afraid to ask are you with me That can be not just about salvation, but about any of those subjects that I just mentioned. Don't be afraid to ask. I tell you, there's a freedom there. There's a freedom in all of those issues, all of those subjects that I mentioned, if you'll seek what Jesus has to say about it. But especially, (laughs) I think is the most important one, the issue of your salvation. There is such a freedom there when you realize that God has taken care of all of that. The Scripture backs that up from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, that our salvation is tied up in the work of the Lord. There is a freedom and a desire that comes like no other to want to serve Him. I hope you feel that this morning, truth believers, (laughs) because I sure do. You know, when you start asking questions in the Scripture, it's like peeling back an onion. You just keep on peeling. just layers and layers and layers and layers. Look at Matthew, the seventh chapter, as we see Jesus, the one that they would not ask any questions of. And I'm not sure exactly how this uh, played out. This may have been before the book of Mark account there of where they wouldn't ask him. It could have been before the Sermon on the Mount. I can't remember for sure. But regardless, this was on Jesus's mind because he says in Matthew seven and seven, and this is right after where brother Luke preached to us about judgment last week. Jesus says in Matthew seven and seven, ask and it shall be given you seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you and by the way that's another place where a lot of the modern thinking has turned this into a salvation verse it's not a salvation verse it's talking about proper judgment the whole context of chapter 7 is judgment proper judgment for a child of god to know how to act to know what to do to know how to interact to ask questions of the lord lord what would you have me to do <laughs> See, that's a child of God's question. That's not somebody that doesn't love the Lord. That's a child of God's question. That's a promise a child of God can claim. And by the way, it's easy to remember because it says ask, seek, and knock. A-S-K, ask. It's all uh, contained in the A, ask, the S, seek, and the K, knock. And it all comes to ask. Ask and it shall be given. Notice it doesn't say you might figure it out. It says it shall be given unto you. He says, to seek and ye shall find it. Not that you might find it, to knock and it shall be opened unto you. Those are promises from the Lord. He says, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. You see, that's how good that God is to us. But we have to ask. Those those men there with Jesus who just heard him say, I'm delivered into the hands of men, they shall kill me, I shall rise. They should have asked. They should have sought. They should have knocked and said, Lord, tell us more. Now watch what he says in verse 9. What man is there of you? You see, Jesus asked a lot of questions. I've tried to learn about that through the years. Because whether you knew this or not, preachers like to talk. Did you know that? They don't like to ask. It's, it's a little more nerve-wracking to ask questions because somebody might actually answer. <laughs> but Jesus did a lot of question asking. He says, what man is there of you? Whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? I have never in my life as a father had one of my children come to me and they said, "Daddy, I'm hungry." And I'd go outside in the in the driveway and get some gravel and some rocks and go back in there and put it in like a chip bag or something and go, hey, 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 you know, play a joke on them. They'd take a bite. Number one, because if they did that, I'd be taking them to doctor to Doctor Hagler's office to fix their tooth. I'm not going to give my children a stone if they're asking me for some bread. And it says, or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Could you see the look on my kid's face? If they said, "Daddy, I'd like to have a fish to eat or something, you know, a catfish or something. And I pull out a snake and I say, here, eat this. Nobody wants to eat a snake. Well, especially if it's a live one. they ah! no, Nobody in their right mind is going to give their child a snake whenever they ask for a fish. Another place where it talks about this, it says if he asks for some piece of food and you give him a scorpion. Y'all ever seen a scorpion? Those things are, those are nasty looking little bugs. And even the littlest one will hurt you. Big ones will hurt you even more. But the Lord Jesus says this. He says, who of you is going to give to your child If they ask bread, if they ask fish, or they ask something to eat, you're not going to give them a rock. You're not going to give them a serpent. You're not going to give them a scorpion. That's cruel. And he says, I'm better than all of that. I'm the heavenly father. Why would we not? You think the Lord, if you ask of him bread, you think he's going to give you a stone? You think if you ask for fish, that he's going to give you a serpent? You think if you ask for some piece of food, that he's going to give you a scorpion? Now, I will say this, what he does give you, if you're earnestly seeking, it might sting a little. It might sting a little. And look at verse 11. If you then being evil, if you're sinful, know how to give good gifts unto your children. By the way, that's a great commentary that Jesus has on depravity, isn't it? Jesus says, if you being evil, if you are a sinful people, if you're descendants of Adam... And you know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them? Out of the blue? Just in a vacuum? Nope. Them that ask him. You see? Now, one thing, as a side note, of course, is to point out, he's not talking about the health, wealth, and prosperity type gospel. That if you'll ask the Lord for a mansion, he's got a mansion for you. You know, give $5 to the TV preacher, you get 10 back. That's not what this is talking about. The subject is wisdom. Knowing how to conduct your life. Knowing what to do in life. Knowing how to have proper judgment. And he says this. This is interesting that this follows, verse 12. This is a key. This is just a, a hinge for us to understand how the Lord operates with ask, seek, and knock. He says, therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the do unto others verse right here. You say, what in the world does that have to do with ask, seek, and knock? It has everything to do with it. Because think about it. As a, as a natural, sinful father, I'm, just, I'm much more prone to want to give something to one of my children. I'm not talking about food. But if they come and say, Daddy, you know, can I have this? I am much more prone to want to give them whatever they're asking for if they're acting nice. If they've been acting like a little devil, you know, I don't don't really feel compelled. I don't don't think you deserve it, honey. I don't know, or I don't want to pick on the girls. Or son, (laughs) I I don't think you deserve this. You know, y'all heard the old joke that the grandparent tells about the the grandchildren coming over for the weekend. You know, the grandparent says, Oh, the little angels come over on Friday, and I sent the little devils home on Sunday. (laughs) know that's the grandparents joke you know thank god the grandparents gets to send the little devils home but you understand the point is if we're doing unto others if we're being kind to other people if we're interacting with other people and showing and getting along with our brothers and our sisters and laying down our lives for them the lord looks upon that and it brings joy to the lord you see and me as a natural father who is much more prone to want to give my children a reward or some blessing because you guys have really been acting good. It, it, it brings joy. I want to share this with you. I'll take you on a trip. I want to give, bless you with this. I want to bless you with that. And I'm just a sinful man. I'm just a father who's filled with sin and do, does a horrible job, I'm sure. The Lord is not filled with sin. The Lord is perfect and the Lord looks upon His children. And can you imagine how He feels when He sees His children interacting with one another, laying down their lives for one another, having good attitudes towards one another, uh, loving one another. And they say, Lord, could you help me? You see how eager the Lord is? But the other end of that spectrum is they were afraid to ask. You remember what they were doing? Remember what they were doing? What were they doing? I'm asking questions now. They were interacting with each other by arguing about who was going to be the first. Who was going to be the, the, the big man. They were arguing and fussing with each other. They didn't ask him any questions. They were afraid to ask. They were afraid to answer the Lord when he says, what were you disputing about? <laughs> see, he knew they were disputing. You see the other end of that spectrum. And Jesus says, if we're laying down our lives for each other, it makes... That asking, seeking, and knocking so much easier. <laughs> then he goes on and talks about the straight gate, the narrow way. By the way, that's another verse that's been perverted into a salvation verse. It's not a salvation verse. The straight gate is the straight gate of judgment. Judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, it shall be judged unto you. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. This is the gate of judgment for the child of God. It says, straight is the gate, narrow is the way of judgment, which leadeth unto life. You see, it brings abundant life. It brings joy. It brings peace. And few there be that find it. I trust and believe with all of my heart that I'm talking to a few this morning who have found that straight gate of judgment. You've asked the question, Lord, where does my salvation lie? At least in that category for sure. Where does my salvation lie? It lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're on that straight gate of judgment and narrow way of judgment. You have heard, you have seen yourself in the mirror and you've seen who you are. You've seen yourself as Jesus sees you and you have judged that you are incapable of saving yourself. And you have seen Christ high and lifted up. <laughs> you've heard the gospel preached. You've heard the truth of grace and you have seen that He is capable and He is worthy. And you're on that straight and narrow path of judgment. You see? It's not the path to heaven. Christ is taking care of that path. See how all this ties together? Ask, seek, knock. What this has to do with... Let me just give you a a few more principles here and we'll be through this morning. You want the answers. First of all, you have to ask. And then you have to be prepared for the answers whenever you do ask. Uh, This is what's known as laying your cards on the table. That's Proverbs, the third chapter. He says, lean not to thine own understanding... In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. That's Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We know that part. Everybody quotes that kind of tritely. You know, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. But it carries a formula with it. There's a formula there. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. It means you you think, I think this, I think I should do this, I think I should marry this person, I think I should vote this way, I think I should hold this position on this issue. You must lay down your understanding and measure that understanding by what God's word says. You know how far away from this we are in society today? We're so far away from the standard of God's word, it's not even funny. But I trust and believe that as, as long as there's a, a remnant there that's using the Word of God as a standard to do the things they do, to make the decisions that they make. Praise God, I believe God's honored. If it was just one left doing it. But praise God, I know many people that are still using God's Word as a standard. But in general, we've gotten away from the standard. They're, you use your own standard. It's a feel-good standard. Whatever I think, whatever my... Or it's relativism. If it's relative to my situation, I can adjust that standard how I want to. You lay your cards on the table. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. So maybe you've got an understanding in about a position right now. Whatever that may be. Fill in the blank. If you're not afraid to ask, then you're not afraid to lay that down. And say, this is what I think, so I'm going to lay it down. And I'm going to test that by God's word. Now the next thing is this. James 3 and 17. It says the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable. And gentle easy to be entreated without partiality full of mercy and good works you see that's what you're looking for is the wisdom that is from above it's something that bring it just makes sense if you find yourself in a bind if you find your heart in a bind and you think oh i just don't know that's not the wisdom from above. If you find yourself operating in fear, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that, I'm afraid of going here, I'm afraid of doing this, I'm afraid that if I go forward with this, I see these negative things about this person that I'm in a relationship with. They're just these, but, you know, I, I, I think I can, I can fix him or her up. <laughs> Which never works. Never works. See, that's not the wisdom that's from above. There's no but in the wisdom from above. The wisdom from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated. That just means that it just, it just flows and it makes sense. And a lot of times it goes against the grain of what's going on. A lot of times it goes against the grain. I have some personal experience in this. Not just one time, but through the years especially. I can remember years ago when I was living in a different city, pursuing a different career path, vehemently pursuing that path. And there was this little thing within inside me, this little rub inside me, this little question that kept coming up, and it was just a very small little still voice to begin with, and it said, "Hey," it didn't audibly say that, but that's the way it felt. It was just this little nagging inside me. Mm, something's not right, you know. And it began to grow. It began to build. It began to get bigger. It began to get louder. It began, it began to speak to me at night. It began to whisper in my ear throughout the day. It began to dominate my thinking as time went by. And you know what? You know and This is a funny way to say it, but you know what exacerbated that? You know what augmented that? Is I kept listening to preaching. I kept listening to men of God. And the more I listened to the men of God and the preaching of God and studying the Word of God and talking to people of God, the more I did that, the louder that got within me until it was like a shout within me. It's all I could think about. You see, that's how the wisdom of God works. Have you ever suppressed that? I tried to suppress that. And I'm not, listen to me now. We're not absoluters. We don't say it can only be one way. We believe in the possibilities that God would bless us to find the best possibility. You can squelch that. You can ignore the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said you can quench the Spirit. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about making good judgment calls, making decisions to do things, to have positions on this or positions on that. You see, you can squelch those things. You can. That's a fine line. When you start squelching those things and not listening to those things. Oh, I pray to God that if that small little rub, that little voice begins, still small voice begins to irritate you. I hope you'll just keep scratching at it and keep scratching at it until it finally takes over. That's the wisdom that's from above. Proverbs 11 and 14. If you want to look back over in the book of Proverbs real quick. There's a couple spots there. This is the third thing I want to tell you about ask, seek and knock. Not being afraid to ask the Lord these questions. Proverbs 11 and 14, it says this, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Let's catch 15 and 22 while we're right there just a couple pages away because it's very similar. It says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Are we afraid to ask the Lord? Are we afraid to ask His counselors? Do you understand that these 66 books and all the pages and verses contained therein are the counselors of God? They speak to you. They talk to you. As a matter of fact, the more you engage it, the more you get in it, the more you love it, and the more it loves you back, Uh, you'll find that it's talking to you at different times. It's telling you things. You wake up and think about it. You go to bed thinking about it. It's like it consumes your mind. Praise God. If you're sitting there and thinking, well, I don't really know what he's talking about. It's time to understand what I'm talking about. It's time to make these things your counselors. Who are your counselors? And on top of that, What men or women in your life, whether you're young or old, especially though when you're young, right? In a multitude of counselors, there's safety. How many times does a young person face a huge decision and they just start asking their friends around them who are just as ignorant of what to do as they are? (laughs) I know, because I remember asking my buddies, What do you think about this girl? Or what do you think about doing this? Or what do you think about that? And they're like, oh, I don't know, whatever, whatever you think, you know, whatever feels good. (laughs) That's usually the answer you get. That's the worst mistake that a young person can make is to listen to those people that are around them. Now, you might have one glowing, wonderful, beautiful, spiritual friend that would be a good one to talk to, a good one to ask. But even so, listen to me now, even so. So you got an incredibly spiritual, godly friend. You're maybe 16 years old. Not picking on 16 year olds, but say you're 16 years old and you've got a great godly friend who's 16 years old. They're still 16. <laughs> they're not 35. They're not 45. They're not 85. They haven't had the opportunity to go through the trials and tribulations of life. They don't have the experience yet. It's still good to ask them if they're spiritual and godly. But you need to talk to someone who has had experience in succeeding in. Weathering the storms of life. See, it's very important that you don't talk to someone who has failed at every. You don't want to go talk to Lot about where to live, where to marry, where to go to church, and and uh, what to work, where to work. You don't want to ask Lot those questions. He failed at every one of them. You want to go and ask, and you see, nobody has to know this. It's not like you're holding up a banner and saying, "I'm going to ask Brother Tim all of these secret questions about me." You don't have to do that. You go in privacy, you go quietly, you say, this is burdening me. Any one of those apostles could have gone to the Lord Jesus Christ at any time and said, Now, I want to know exactly what you meant. I wonder sometimes if sweet little Mary didn't do that. Mary Magdalene, because whenever she came and anointed Jesus, whenever she put the burial anointment on Jesus, I believe she had a greater understanding than those apostles who were afraid to ask because he said she hath anointed this for my burial. She knew that it was burial anointment. She wasn't just putting fine perfume on him that she'd saved up years to buy. She knew it was burial anointment. She knew it was for his funeral. I believe that sweet little sister knew something far beyond what those high and mighty apostles who were arguing and jockeying for position knew. You see, as a little child, she may have come and asked him at some point Who are your counselors? Who do you trust? There's no problem too small, and there's no problem too great. And you think back. If you're sitting here today and you believe the truth and you understand that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins, you know that God, the Lord, has answered at least one question in your life. Am I right? The Lord answered, possibly, as I said, the most important question of all How will I be in heaven? And Jesus says, I've got you covered. <laughs> I've got that. If He has got the answer on how you're going to be in heaven, it was through His blood, His sacrifice, His work, God accepting Him and His sacrifice as the Lamb of God. If He's got that answered, I assure you that there's no problem too big, no problem too small, no issue you face that He doesn't have an answer to. I assure you. I've been thinking a lot about the pilgrims lately. I've been reading with the kids some about some of the stories of the pilgrims. And I've... I've studied the pilgrims, you know, off and on for years, especially kind of around Thanksgiving. But I really got to thinking this time. Now, and we don't, let me say this, the pilgrims were, the, they were Puritans, they were not Baptists. They were dissenters from the Church of England, and they just wanted to worship the way they wanted to worship. They were not Baptists, but they had some similar, they were Calvinistic. They had some very similar beliefs to some of the Baptists. They were a little extreme on some things like the way they dressed and so forth. But it took a lot of courage to do what they did, to move from, first from England then to Holland for several years and then to uh, broker a ship and go across the sea into a completely strange place with no towns, no cities, no grocery stores, and the, almost the dead of winter. It really is amazing that anybody survived that winter. Over half of them died. Now you think about that. They had a question. And I'm not saying, and some of our Baptist forefathers They came across sometime after that, but I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it, but I've often thought, what led them to that? (laughs) You know, what led them to making that move? And it wound up half of the people died when they went. And they just went on joyfully, thankful that they could worship God being free from oppression. The seeds of America were planted in that type of question asking. You see, I'm not saying we agree with everything the the pilgrims believed or whatever but it is amazing we often see well there there's you know there's the pilgrims and they're having this first thanksgiving and everything's wonderful and fine it's not <laughs> they struggled they tried they, they had all these struggles and they had all these issues that they faced and many people died you see again i'm thankful that People were burdened to come over to America and plant the seeds. You see, you understand the reason America is here and has been here for so long is because it has been a safe harbor for the church of God. <laughs> That's why. When it no longer is a safe harbor for the church of God, you can just expect that it's, it'll be gone. Now, how does the kingdom of God advance today? How does it advance today? Matthew 7 and 12, as I already told you, is a key to that because it says, Do unto others. As we interact with one another in a godly way, God gives us answers as we ask him. G, uh, Paul asked in Acts the ninth chapter and the 6th verse, after he was born again on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? That's the question that should be asked. Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? And it's interesting, the answer that Jesus gave to Ananias, you know, Jesus told Ananias, go and baptize him. And I've been I've been hung up on this for several weeks now thinking about that verse because he said to Ananias, he said, I must show Paul. I must show Paul how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. We don't really know anything about suffering, do we? The word suffer there means to experience a sensation. (laughs) And in that context, it's a bad sensation. And the Apostle Paul experienced the sensation of suffering over and over again. And he kept his eyes on Jesus. He said he's worthy. He's worthy. We don't know anything about that. And I'm not saying, well, let's all sign up for suffering. But we don't understand the things that Paul went through. Being beaten, being shipwrecked, all the things that he had to go through. Being imprisoned, all those things he went through. And he always had that good attitude. He always had a message to preach to the children of God. When he was a prisoner in Caesar's household, my goodness, he converted all of Caesar's servants to the truth of God. You can't be in the mully grubs and do that. Y'all understand that? We don't know anything about suffering. Well, I've run out of time, and I was going to tell you a little bit about the questions that the some people came and asked Jesus about salvation, and they went away from him. In John 6, when he gave the answer, they left him. They asked him for signs, and it caused Jesus to sigh deeply and say no sign will be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. They asked him about politics, you know, Caesar there in Matthew 22, and he gave him a response to that. It, it grieved him. Well, let's ask Jesus one more question as we close. And I say to this church, I say to those inside, I say to those outside, I say to those that can't even hear me. Maybe they'll hear it on the podcast. I say to God's people everywhere that may actually listen to this. Lord, what would you have us to do going forward? What would you have us to do as a church, as a people? You say, "Well, brother Tim, you know nobody really has the answer." You know, I've told you before. Everybody's at, there, there's a spectrum of of people that, with opinions from the oddest and strangest opinions to from conservative to liberal, all across the board. I've got my own. I don't share them. <laughs> I just want to keep preaching the word of God. I will tell you what the Lord would have us to do, the framework of what the Lord would have us to do. The Lord would have us to focus on moving forward and doing four simple things found in Acts, the second chapter. It says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the apostles' fellowship. They continued in the breaking of bread, which is communion and also eating, just physical eating, And they continued in prayer. I want you to know that's the framework right there. So wherever you are in your opinions, the framework for going forward is this. It does not involve saying, well, my opinions are more important than somebody else's. That's what the apostles were doing. And Jesus said, what are you disputing about? That's not the dispute. That's nothing to dispute about where your opinions are versus somebody else's. It is about looking at the framework of how God says we move forward. Wherever you are, it involves you and me laying down what we think. I'm going to lay down what I think and I'm going to say, Lord, can you answer this question for me? If you ask, if you seek, if you knock, he will answer the question. (laughs) Proverbs 8. And 14 says, counsel is mine. This is the Lord talking. He says, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. How about that? That's the wisdom that's from above. He says, seek me. Get off of the opinion spectrum and get on to the word of God. The ask, the seek, and the knock. I have seen what the blessing of God looks like, whether it was at Zion or whether it was here at Bethlehem or whether it was among you and your families. I've seen what that looks like. You've seen what that looks like. And it is built around that simple framework. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God. They continued in fellowship, which means interacting with one another. They continued in breaking of bread, communion, and physically eating meals with one another. And they continued in prayer. Don't be afraid to ask. Just be prepared for what the answers are. I love every one of you. May the Lord bless you. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, then we give you that opportunity as we stand and we sing some song?